Perspectives YYC is part of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. In February, I got to sit down again with my friend Kane Chow. If you remember our first talk, Kane is an entrepreneur who's been sharing with Calgary the art of the kokedama, using moss balls to grow plants. It's quite a beautiful and strange thing, and uh, I think she's become quite renowned for it. The other thing Kane's been doing is transitioning into a female, and I thought that a second episode was required for us to focus specifically on that experience. I hope that you'll uh, appreciate our conversation. And the small caveat is that this is nearly six months ago, and her life keeps evolving, as all of ours, particularly through this whole coronavirus pandemic. I hope that we can still gain insight into where she was in February and how she might be doing now. If you want to keep up with Kane and find the latest on her experiences, you can find her at The Transplanter on Instagram. For Kokedama information, she is still at kokedama.ca. That's K-O-K-E-D-A-M-A dot C-A on Instagram. Quick thank you to Kane for spending so much time with me and for you listeners uh, for giving us an opportunity to share her story. And with all that said, let's check in with Kane. So maybe we could just kind of not totally recap, but, you know, last time we were talking, last time we were talking about your emergence, um, both as an entrepreneur, as an artist, um, as a woman, etc. Um, I mean, you, as in our preamble, you talked about kind of going through it again. Um, so topically, without getting into too much detail, what was your sense of where we were several months ago? And um, how are you today? So several months ago, we talked about how Kokodama, and how I arrived there and sort of where I came from um, having this illustrious software development career, which was a lot of fun at first and then kind of became disenchanting. Um, and then how I landed on Kokedama and made that my low-paying thing. Um, and going from something very technical to uh, artistry. And then we sort of ended off on um, the cliffhanger of, oh yeah, this, you know, I had this aha moment in the shower and um, I'm trans. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I like to think that it was almost interlaced throughout your entire journey as well, at least in reflection. I mean, the just the idea of, um, finding oneself in a creative venue is a fascinating sort of parallel. Uh, it's a stretch because, you know, what you're going through is quite, if not extreme, and this is big, big stuff, you know. Uh, but that's why, yeah, we always talked about kind of coming out and focusing on that more more specifically, which I think is an important issue uh, in Calgary in particular. In the world, of course, uh, and the, I don't even know, what's the correct order of the acronym, LG. TBQ? No, LG. I, I don't know that there is a One correct anymore? order. There's more letters now. Um, there are more letters. And like when you were saying, you know, that it's interlaced in my journey, it definitely it has been interlaced in my journey. It's been um, a thing my whole life, whether I knew it or not. But the order, 
the, you know, the one I go by is LGBTQIA2S plus. Um, and, you know, people are like, why are there more and more letters? Um, it's, it's about being seen. Um, where it's kind of like if you have a letter, you are recognized and you are, um, it's legitimacy. I was going to say real, but no, it's, it's sort of a feeling of legitimacy, of legitimacy. It's, you know, I, I can understand that for sure. And I think that, um, gender identity and assignment is uh, problematic in general. I mean, any role assignment, even outside of sexuality, is, is a fascinating concept in general. Like, um, on the flip side, yeah, even if it's software engineer versus artist, I mean, is there really a fundamental difference? Is it an individual thing, um, et cetera? Um, it, it is one thing that is peaking in my mind is just simply with all of the psychological and uh, spiritual stuff that I have to go through just to maintain some semblance of sanity is uh, how dangerous any role-playing can be, uh, even in a positive light. So, um, you know, the tone in which we say things can often affect how we define these words. So, for example, like when I'm growing up, you know, if I said that I'm Korean, it's usually with some anger, bitterness, anger, bitterness, and resentment. Um, and now I find myself leaning a little bit more the other way and trying to identify again. Definitely not as Korean capital K, but trying not to hide from that sort of thing anymore. Um, but there are dangers in that too, because it it becomes a little bit, uh, you kind of build a hill for you to die on in a way. Uh, I could see that. Yeah. yeah. And people, I wonder if it makes people a little bit more emotionally charged about these things. Um, my understanding again, not being in this world, is that even within the acronyms, it's not a harmonious society, and that there are some uh, both historical, especially with generational ideas of what it meant to be queer or what it meant to be, uh, whatever the original base uh, three or four were, uh, and now with all of the different, you know, I don't even know what they're, andro and um, non-binary, and uh, there's so many different terms that are coming out now. Um, I mean, what is your feeling... Um, coming into the game, so to speak, um, especially in Calgary. I'm really interested in the idea of what that community is like in Calgary. Um, I have to say that, so I I came out to myself August 2018. Um, so just over a, a year and a, I don't know, a year and a half, a little bit more than a year and a half, I guess. And I really didn't have a lot of exposure to the queer community. And even as I was um, sort of socially transitioning and, and medically transitioning, it was, it was an intimidating sort of group because I'd never been part of the the queer community at all and suddenly you know I I'm a member um but I don't you know I've had a few friends who are gay or whatever but um I have never 
been part of the community. And um, it was only after connecting with um, Skipping Stone um, that, that I feel like that was my sort of gateway uh, to the queer community. And Skipping Stone is a Calgary-based charity and they support trans youth, their families in navigating all of the like the medical stuff and the social stuff and they have support groups for caregivers and um, people who have loved ones who are trans and um, they have like arts groups for for the youth and um, a group specifically for trans feminine people group specifically for trans masculine people and I I actually started working with them I'm also a client and 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 they're very new they're they probably I think they've only been in existence I want to say three years maybe four but if they had existed when I was growing up my life would be super different um and so I was like, okay, I, I need to be part of this. I need to um, do what I can to support them so that kids don't have to grow up the way I grew up and so that they, they have, so that they can have opportunities that wasn't even on anybody's radar when I was growing up. But there are definite lines are drawn a lot of times in in queer communities so it's kind of like we you know we have the the gay men and you know they have their you know they kind of have their thing and then there's the lesbians and then um there's people who are bi which is this whole other thing like there's bi erasure where if a bi person you know is with somebody of the opposite sex it's like oh you're not really bi you're you're straight because obviously look at your relationship or if you're in a same-sex relationship then people are like no you're just gay you're not bi like how like how do you really know um so there are definitely lines drawn and um that that's frustrating for me as a trans woman who is mostly attracted to women um, I, I am on the fringe of ev everything, or at least it feels like I'm on the fringe of everything. I am, because I'm trans. And so, um, although like sexual orientation is easy, I don't know. It feels like it's relatively easy for people to understand. Um, and I think it's because the gay and lesbian community has worked really hard at it. And um, the trans community is just, we are just starting to have representation and having people in popular media, um, both trans men and trans women and people who identify as non-binary. And, um, and we are very much in the infancy of that. Uh, and then in Calgary, we are sort of really, really, really in the infancy. Um, Calgary is just really quite conservative. I think the circles that we travel 
that we we find ourselves in um it's this little bubble of let's explore things are neat people are neat let's meet all the people talk to all the people get to know all the people um and i feel like because we're surrounded by you and i are surrounded by that it can feel like oh calgary is like super open and super progressive but um our our bubble is actually really <laughs> quite small and it's quite obvious as soon as you step out of that circle um you know if you're imagining i don't know you know i'd say our sort of the artistic creative um maker entrepreneurial community is probably like well, i don't know like five percent of calgary um that's just this gut feeling or whatever but it's really small um and calgary is really conservative um you brought up if skipping stone you know this proposition that if skipping stone had existed when you were younger that your life might have been vastly different so maybe in reflection kind of what do you mean by that what what is it that when looking back that you feel um you know either in the present awareness of who you are now or in the if if there's a possibility of suggesting experiencing it as a young man at the time or boy um what was it that you feel in retrospect might have been different and then you know that's obviously going to point as well to the difference between asian culture um not that we can really comment on uh, non-Asian cultures and how they might experience um, being in the position that you are. But yeah, what what do you think? Well, let's start at the beginning. So I am, for those of you listening and who haven't seen photos, I am Canadian-born Chinese. My parents are from Hong Kong. And they came, like my mom was 18 when she came, my dad was 19, and they came for school. And they met here and uh, got married, and they had me. And when I was born, you know, the doctor looked between my legs and was like, okay, this is a boy. So assigned male at birth. Um, although I like to say that I, I don't really know what it's like to really grow up as a boy, like I don't actually know what it's like to be a boy because I have this underlying gender thing where it's like, I'm not really a boy. Um, without understanding that, you know, in, 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 um, in my youth. Like, do you feel like I, I, my one quip would be, does anyone actually know what it means to grow up a boy? And that it's just a throw at sort of a gender assignment, as, you, as is the term now, gender assignment. But even the, I think the other term that I've been hearing a lot is toxic masculinity. But ultimately, this role, there's a, there's a strict form, you know, having a son and watching Emerson be Emerson, he does not check a lot of boxes of what a prototypical boy is like. He's not running around trying to poke other boys in the face. He's not running around trying to dominate. He's just, uh, he's just a ham. Um, but, but that's one thing, but also, you know, um, I don't know, uh, do you think it's hard, of course, looking back and knowing who you are now, but do you feel like even at that time growing up that there was some tension or some, something that 
you're already subconsciously or emotionally aware of that was felt a little off? Or is it something that you were just made aware that might not have fitted the mold, you know, after the fact? Um, there were, there were a lot, a lot of things. And so I, um, I grew up, so I was born at the tail end of the seventies, you know, grew up eighties, nineties. And I sort of the being, you know, so we mentioned in part one where, you know, I was the raised as, or, um, you could say socialized as the sort of this eldest male heir sort of position in, in the family and, um, not just my family, but extended family. And it's kind of this position of status and it elevates the position of my dad in the family and that kind of thing. And, um, but then, you know, I was this kid who in elementary school, um, and like at the time, you know, in the boys department, you could buy, dark colored corduroys like green and black and um blue you get blue jeans and that was about it it hasn't changed that much but you can get like colorful chinos and stuff depending on how fast fashion you want to get um well that depends on the parents more than anything but if you look at the suppliers it, i yeah. mean it's it's not corduroy anymore which i regret i love i had a pair of corduroy track pants that helen hate, hated <laughs> but uh, if you ever find them corduroy is a great fabric for track pants but uh, anyways, sorry, I had to interject. Yeah. yeah, keep going, keep going. Um, but I was the kid who was like, um, I I don't want to wear those pants. And so there was this period in elementary school, most probably grade four or five, where I refused to wear the dark corduroys and the blue jeans, and I wanted to wear like colorful cotton pants. It's the same colorful cotton pants that the girls um, got to wear. And um, my mother, bless her soul at the time, not that she understood what it was or that I understood what it was. She made the pants happen, like mostly in like whites and yellows. I didn't get any pinks, um, you know, which I would have loved. And I was what looked like a boy wearing the girl pants um I don't know what that was like in the parent social circles because that like that just it stands out um and so that's sort of my earliest memory of it's like I'm just a little bit different a lot of stuff happened I guess in like junior high, high school, um, I naturally made friends with girls and I had to try really hard to be, to make friends with guys. And most of the guys that I was friends with were, um, let's say gentler and, um, not so, uh, rambunctious and, and then, you know, going into sort of high school, I was into cycling and um, I was part of a team triathlon at one point. And um, so I did the cycling part because, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm the cyclist. And I was like, I'm going to shave my legs because that's going to make me fast. That was my excuse. And so I shaved my legs for that race and 
It felt really great. Like smooth shaved legs feel the best. Um, and from that day on, I just kept my legs hair free. And, you know, people would be like, oh, you shave your legs, you know, um, visually, you know, like a, a boy with shaved legs, right? And I could give the excuse of, oh, I'm a cyclist. And people would be like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll give you that. And then like in university for, uh, for a while, I, um, I grew my hair out. It's probably actually longer than my hair is right now. And, um, I loved my long hair. You know, I like I shampooed and I like did deep conditions and I would blow dry and style. And sometimes I would flip my hair outwards and sometimes inwards. And, I, I loved that hair and sometimes I would get mistaken for a girl. Um, like somebody would bump into me or something like that or, um, and they'd be like, oh, sorry, miss. And like, that was not a thing that bothered me. I was like, oh, okay, I'll take that. Um, whereas for somebody who identifies as male, you know, the response is usually, why would you say that? I'm a dude, like, just back off, right? Um, and I had, you know, sort of this experience in the washroom at school where um, my cousin actually came in and I was washing my hands and um, and he was kind of like, oh, Kane, I, I thought there was a, it's you. I thought there was a girl in the, in the men's washroom and that didn't, that didn't bother me at all. Um, and then I, um, I had that hair cut, uh, for the, the Jackie Chan movie that was, um, filmed here. So I was an extra and I had to hold back the tears as they cut my hair. Um, that yeah, that was a little traumatic actually. <laughs> and I, um, I, I worked really, there were all these little things, but then on the flip side, I worked really, really hard to fill those shoes of first male heir to inherit the family name. Um, and sort of in Chinese culture, I was always, I, this, this is my role. I have to fill it. These things where it's like, I, you know, I could, I, you know, I would see a, a beautiful girl on the street and be like, I want to get in those pants, but like, actually I want to try those pants on, right? Like, um, and to label myself as a pervert or a freak to like maintain that role. So that's what I did. And I, I didn't date a lot. Um, I've only dated like three, um, three girls and, um, I got married the once and we were married for, I think we, what we dated for like six months, got engaged, were married after a year of being together. And then, um, yeah, we were together for like 17 years. We had, um, 
we made two boys and, um, you know, I was always that self-sufficient child, even though it took me a while to get through school and stuff. But, um, I, I, I played that role to a T except for not being good at math. Um, and then, you know, as I'm, you know, even through my marriage, you know, like there was times where it's like, okay, well, I, I decided I'm going to shape my eyebrows. I can totally get away with that. That's just like really Metro. Um, and so I would have those things and it was like, how close to that sort of that male, female gender line? It was like, how close to that can I get and, and not have people ask questions about my gender and and um you know i'm the person who who'd already sort of went online and researched all like um like gender reassignment surgery like what does that look like and um, this is years ago yeah yeah you're even in university and I used to, like back in university, I used to play this online game and it was like massively multiplayer, but because it was the bad old days of the internet, um, it was all text-based. And I played a girl character and that was super addictive because I could play this girl character and I could, I could be the person that I felt that I was. At that time, there was like always controversies about like guys pretending to be girls to mess with people. And, um, you know, I, I did have some of those controversies and but like people would be, you know, online stick up for me and being like, no, no, no. Like, um, you know, that player is most like they're definitely a girl, like the words that they pick and like the way that they talk and you know all of those things um sort of very gender stereotypey but for me it's not really a stereotype it's just who I am um and later like after coming out um I had a friend in town who was like hey do you remember that online game we used to play it was called shadow mud and you played a girl character and I was like Oh yeah, I totally forgot about that. That was so long ago. And he he had this comment of back in the day, I always wondered how you played a girl so convincingly and so comfortably. And he was like, but it all makes sense now. Um and that was kind of my my life growing up. I I spent a lot of energy working really hard at being a boy and being a man. And um, it colored a lot of my relationships in the sense of I, I felt that I needed to be manly enough um, so that I would be perceived, you know, sort of as that man that I was expected to be and then, you know, people would love me and um, that makes a person super codependent and it's really not healthy. Um, it's something that I'm 
working through, but it's not a thing that I could have worked through until I, um, until I came out really. This episode of Perspectives YYC is brought to you by CPA Alberta. It may be cliche to say by now, but we really are living in unprecedented times. That's why you should consider hiring a chartered professional accountant, also known as a CPA, to help guide you through this pandemic and jumpstart your recovery. With a CPA on your team, you can be confident you will find the best solutions to even your biggest business problems. CPAs are trained to dig in and truly understand how an organization operates, where it's already excelling, and how it can be better. For an inside look at how Alberta's CPAs are supporting their clients through the pandemic, follow CPA Alberta on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. You can also visit cpaalberta.com to find out more. The sort of idea I thought of uh, is, I mean, you have a family and you had sons. Um, you know, where, what was that like? Because uh, when we were expecting Emerson, I was convinced he was going to be a girl. Like when he was, you know, pea-sized and in Helen's uh, uterus, in her tummy. Uh, for whatever reason, I had intuition that we were going to have a, a daughter. Um, but going through this tension, I mean, you're not out yet. But, you know, as your sons are coming into existence, um, I mean, is there is there something that you felt already at that point? You know, was there already a tension with this idea of what it meant to raise your sons the same or differently? Um, I mean, that's a loaded question, too, because uh, as, as a father, I know how complicated and complex that gets. But um, it's interesting to hear that you were so, um, at least intuitively aware, that something was different. So, you know, having kids and going through that experience, uh, did you not find yourself also connecting to this idea that you had a son and there was a, a general different expectation? Um, was it pride? Was it not disappointment? I mean, your sons are great, but um, yeah. Is it? Do you think it was different than what your parents might have felt? I suspect that it is different than what my parents would have felt. Um, the The funny thing with our firstborn is that we we never had a girl name picked out for the baby like we were like we stumbled on you know the boy name and we're like even before we were trying we're like oh this is the best name like you know if we have a boy like that's going to be his name um and like we never we never found a girl name that was the same but you know he came out and um He's like 13 now, but yeah, so he got that name and it was like, that was just his name. Um, but we didn't sort of, and it, it, like, it gets complicated because my gender identity is like this, there's like the outside perception of my identity and then my not yet realized identity. Um, but in our household, we didn't have any roles that were defined by gender. Let's say um, I was the one. I was the one who sewed. So if we needed to fix pants or um, like hem pants or take in a shirt or um, make 
Halloween costumes. That that was me. Um, we both cooked. We both cleaned. Um, I was the one who worked on the cars because I was I'm in like I like cars, um, and my my wife at the time like she she's just was never exposed to sort of fixing things or whatever, um, and I I did the ironing, um, and so sort of the the way that the the kids were brought up was like not really trying to enforce any of those and i i know i like i understand that like that stuff just leaks through culture but yeah not the i i think not quite the same um even though like i have to admit like growing up in the household like my mom like my dad cooks my mom taught me how to bake and do the sewing and she taught me how to iron um my dad does his own ironing when like when he's gone out but um um there were more i think less overt things that were just demonstrated i think the key to gender neutrality is uh just don't buy clothes you have to iron it's simple right no uh I, you know, listening to these idea, these ideas of, you know, are we asking the question is, uh, are we asking the question, how does a man and how does a woman act, or how are men and women supposed to be seen to be like uh, to others? Um, it brings me to that old idea, and I, you know, I've never actually fact checked this, but I think, um, I'm pretty sure it's the buddhist cultural thing i think it's thailand i've probably brought this up before too about how the spirit and soul is not actually connected in expression to the physical body um and so i, mean, I think this f- definitely connects a lot into let's call it queer or particularly trans culture um that we in the west in particular have this ideology that um my consciousness and my experience of the world is also tied and connected to this idea that I am a man viewing, you know, a man's world or a woman's world. And so there's, uh, there's tension. Like if Helen's watching a television show that's marketed to women, there's going to be some inherent, for whatever reason, tension that, well, I shouldn't be watching this. I'm not interested in that. And peeling that back, little by little and actually saying is it because i don't want the content or is it because i don't want to be perceived that i'm watching a soap opera that is essentially or at least uh, you know culturally written for this audience um, and that gets very muddy of course and that's a very weird uh, road one that i think it's being explored just uh, you know as we as a human species keep evolving it's being explored right now but yeah, even defining these roles of how you're raised, it's fascinating to think about um, assigning almost check marks or values, you know? It's like, um, I'm like this, even though my parents, or because my parents, you know, we use these evaluative terms about how people are around us. Um, yeah, I don't know. Those are, those are weird things, right? Uh, I can't imagine, can how you're going through this <laughs> um, 
you know, it must be a daily, I mean, grind is a hard and very cynical word. Like I said, I, I watched the matrix last night. So I have a very cynical mentality right now, very pessimistic, but, um, I mean, that just must be, I know it's very difficult for you right now. Um, in the sense, not that I'm holding your hand each day and watching you go through this, but uh, listening to you speak, it's so loaded. You have uh, a lot of conceptual um, pieces that are still floating around, I think. Um, I mean, what is that like each day? How do you approach each day? What have the experiences in the last months been like? Um, you know, in public, we can definitely talk about Calgary. We've already spoken about the sense of a social conservative, conservatism, conservatism, um, and a lot of uh, implied moral, um, I want to say, sort of right-wing Christian ideologies. Uh, I might get in trouble for that. Uh, but fuck it, you know, this sort of this uh, right-wing, hardline uh, Christian morality um, roles. Um we don't have the experience of you being able to experience this, of course, in other metropolises and other mm -hmm. cultures. But, um, you know, for yourself, um, how are you doing in a more specific sense uh, um, right now? Um, what has it been like, um, yeah, trying to, let's say, connect with the person that you have always believed you ought to be? Um, I might posit going through my midlife crisis that... Uh, the self that you will always now be building towards, because I don't know if a person can actually be done, <laughs> full point, uh, changing, in so to speak. But you know, where are you at uh, today? You know, stepping away from uh, reflecting on the past and how you experienced growing up. Um, how how are you? Um, things are like at the same time super amazing and um really tough and sometimes really terrifying i i like that you you know said you know we, you know probably a person never really stops changing and i really hope not um i mean if you're not changing and growing um i mean what's the opposite being dead i don't know um but i so yeah, so I came out August 2018, and so, I don't know, a year and eight months, I think, something like that. Um, and I, at that time, I desperately came out to my closest girlfriends because I needed to know, and like, that was like right away. Like, there wasn't this, like, time of... Um, Oh, what do I like? What do I do? Like, like, who am I? I'm like, I'm, I'm like, oh crap, I'm trans. Okay, every, I'm like, everything's about to fall apart, and so I came out desperately to a bunch of girlfriends, and um, because I needed to know that I had some people who were going to be with me, even if I lost all my family and lost all my other friends. Like, I, I needed to know that there was going to be somebody. Um, and like that, that went like super well. Um, I really didn't have doubts around that. And then um, it was really hard coming out to my wife at the time. And then like I came out to my brother and then my parents, 
So sort of my mom and then my dad and then the kids. Um, out of all of the family, the kids are like so amazing. They were, they were super awesome. Um, and then I kind of just got into transition. Um, and so there's like two aspects of transition. There's um, sort of physical and medical where we're talking about um, like hormone therapy and um, surgeries and like those sorts of things. Um, and then the other side, the, I was going to say bigger side. It's, it's, I guess it's all connected. Um, but then there's the social side where, you know, I'm coming out um, and presenting femininely. So the, the clothes that I wear and the, the, how I have my hair and if I'm decide to wear makeup or not, or like if I, um, do my nails and, and so I, I, like after I came out to the kids, I started, um, changing the way I dressed and that that's been a process too even before that um I was always the the you know I was perceived as the guy who was more fashionable than the other guys um and I always had this thing I was like oh men's fashion is so boring um and so I you know I kind of did what I could with um what I could get. But, um, yeah, after I came out to the kids, I, my pants got skinnier and skinnier. Um, I didn't feel like I could just like go and get skirts and dresses and, you know, like all at once. Um, it was cold at the time. So I was getting into like really big oversized cozy sweaters. Um, and, you know, that was my start and, and, um, my hair, I was like, Oh, I need to, I need to grow my hair. And, and it's like, Oh, I remember that long hair I had in university. Like if only I could have that. And, and that was a really challenging time because I looked very in between. Um, like before that point, I've been told that I, came off very stylish gay man and um fun fact the the gay men used to hit on me all the time and um but I would I'm like I'm so clueless and I was just like I don't notice um but now you know I was pushing you know I wasn't flirting with that gender line anymore and so I was just like in this really visually for most people, um, very in between. And that was a super duper hard place to be. I think if I would have went like full femme, I, it still would have come across that way. Um, and so I would walk down the street or like, um, you know, walk at the mall or wherever I was at and people would stare and they would stare hard like i could i could basically watch their world view break you know in their brains 
and see them get stuck in trying to rebuild that worldview of where does this person fit? And they're trying to figure out, you know, is this, is this a man? Is this a woman? Um, you know, and probably thoughts of, do I feel okay with this? Or what am I feeling? Um, what does that say about me? And um, for men, especially, who, who, I don't know, witnessed me, I guess, um, they, they could get quite um, aggressive um, and, and not necessarily physically, but um, in that way that um, people can get that aggressive look in their eyes um, where they're like, you better not get too close to me or I'm going to hurt you. Um, I would get that from, from quite a lot of men, um, especially at first I didn't feel like I could use the women's washroom even though men's washrooms made me super super uncomfortable and um I did a um a market like the home and garden show with um with a friend and uh who owns a another local business and I used the I used the the men's washroom because I was like I don't know what washroom do I use there's no gender neutral here um at, at this conference center and so I, I was like, okay, I'm just going to use the men's washroom. Like, I'm just, I won't make trouble. Um, at least I thought I wasn't going to make trouble. And I go in there and I, you know, I use a stall so that I don't like, like, I know it sounds weird, but it's like stand to pee. Like that's, I, I can't do that. Um, like physically I can do it, but psychologically I'm like, I can't do that. And so I use the stall and, you know, I'm washing my hands and, you know, these dudes that are in the washroom, they have this look of, you know, it's like the threat of violence. It's like as if me being this and like I'm of slight build, like I am not overpowering any man in the men's washroom. Like that's that's not a thing. Um, but I felt so unsafe. I was like, I need to get out of here. I'm going to die. Um, and, um, that was the last time I used the men's washroom. It was just way too scary. And, um, I'd never had that feeling of, you know, I, I think I could get beat to, you know, within an inch of my life. Um, and and then so I told my friend about this at the at the the home and garden show and she was like, Kane, why are you doing this? Like don't don't go to that washroom where you're facing violence. Just go use the women's washroom. That's where you belong. So the rest of the the show I use the women's washroom and um I don't I didn't get that from the other women. Um and uh, washrooms were very tough for for a while, um, and I um, I started hormone therapy like ten months ago, and so a lot has sort of changed um, in in my body and stuff. And um, you know, I 
I have boobs now and they're like, they're kind of small, but you know, I have boobs and, um, my hips have filled out and my cheeks have filled out and my, um, my muscles have shrunk a lot. I've gained a lot of weight, um, but kind of in the right places. Um, my, my legs have smoothed out and, and, and so like physically, I am, although I'm 5'9", so for women on the sort of tall-ish side, not extremely tall, um, but I'd say sort of upper end of average. Um, And so physically, it's not the same. And my hair is, um, you know, shoulder length now and... Um, I love my makeup. I, I basically wear my makeup every day and I've gotten um, better at it. And um, so sort of those interactions and if they are, they're much better, let's say that they're, they're, they're much better and they, they feel better. And, um, you know, I, I was getting a lot of, at first I got called sir a lot, um, which was heartbreaking, um, soul crushing, or, or when people would use, um, masculine pronouns like that would, um, yeah, that would kind of, it felt like it, you know, it would, it was like a stab in my, in my heart. Um, and that hasn't really been happening much at all um the last couple months and I've only but it's still hard it's like I my my sense of style I would say is very not Calgary I think in a place like Toronto or Vancouver I I probably wouldn't um draw any attention by the way I dress but I've been leaning very much towards um, um, vintage. Um, I really like feminine and flowy tops. Um, High-waisted pants are like everything. And so when I am out and about, I I draw attention um, because of because of what I wear, um, because of my my style. Um, but it's hard for me to separate looks of, wow, her outfit is really interesting, or I really like what she's wearing, or um, I wonder where she got that. Um, and to separate that from what I experienced early on, where it was like, what is this freak in front of me that I can't figure out is a, a man or a woman? And they're dressed kind of femininely, but their body doesn't seem feminine. Um, and it's, yeah, it's really hard for me to keep those separate. Um, it's like when I have face-to-face real interactions, it's a little bit better. Um, men and women just, we, we interact differently with each other and, um, so you can kind of you can kind of tell, I guess, when um, when it's when you're being seen as a woman, or when it's like, hmm, people are like, I don't know. 
Um, and so I have really good days and then I have sometimes really bad days and I, uh, I can struggle with anxiety, uh, because I've had a few interactions, sort of highly transphobic type interactions, which in addition to the, um, like when women say like the world is a dangerous place for women, um, that's a thing. That's totally a thing. Like misogyny and the way the world treats women um, makes the world a, a dangerous place. And um, so that paired with these transphobic experiences um, make the outside world a little bit extra scary. And so... Um, if I have to go out my out the door of my apartment, I am instantly on yellow alert. And I'm on yellow alert basically all day. Um, and that builds up. And it's this general sense of, I don't know if I'm safe. And a lot of that is not on everyday people. Um, it's just my experiences and the the trauma that I've experienced and and so I'm you know working with a, a therapist to try to get through those things and um, it's gonna it's gonna be a while so being out and about can be hard um, and even when people are having genuine interactions with me and you know I've met some people and then you know we'll be having a conversation and um I'll say something about transition or hormones or something. And they're like, oh, what do you mean? And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm trans. And they'll be like, what? Really? Um, they're like, really? And they're, you know, and the, they'll have comments like, but you're, you're beautiful. Like, I had no idea that you were trans. Um, and it comes across really genuine because it is. But I, it, it's really hard for me to be like, to internalize that and be like, yeah, I'm killing it. Um, I haven't gotten around the, come on, really? Like, you're just being nice or you're just playing along or, um, and it's quite, I don't know, I guess it's quite c cynical, um, and I, I think I think it'll get better with time, but that's sort of my um, that's sort of my everyday existence. Um, there aren't there aren't a lot of times where I don't feel this gender tension in the sense of like there's those social interactions, but then physically, it's like anytime I take a shower well, yeah, I got this penis attached to my body and, um, you know, I'll go pee and I'm, you know, I sit to pee, but there's this penis attached to my body. Um, or sometimes it's walking and then, you know, sometimes I feel fabulous and then, you know, I will feel, you know, I can feel my body parts and it's like, damn it, there's this penis attached to my body. Um, 
And I feel like as I've transitioned and become settled more into my femininity and into presenting the way I want to present, um, that's a feeling, um, that feeling of, damn it, why is there a penis attached to my body? Um, is, is like getting worse because it's now the dichotomy or the, the split, you know, maybe felt, you know, sort of was like this before, um, visually, um, you know, I, you know, maybe, you know, I have my hands, you know, just pretty close together. And then, but now it feels like there's this huge gulf of the way I present and, where like parts of my body, like, um, having, um, had some breast development, um, that contrast with having this penis attached to my body is like, um, really, really big and it feels extra not good, but that's, that's kind of my, my day to day. I, I think, you know, there's a, I don't know sort of an age-old uh, line, I think that drives a lot of philosophical, particularly ethics and um, sort of self-awareness stuff, but uh, that uh, if you're if you're going to split into a simple dualism, like who, uh, who I am, asking the question who I am for myself and who I am for others, um, which kind of surrounds the idea of roles and these pressures we have, um, you bring up, of course, um, fear um, in any manifestation, be it, you know, as a person for your physical safety, as a gender role, as a gender presenting, uh, going into the um, um, wider experiences, even of the base cisgendered idea of like how it's coming more and more into light about how women in particular, are experience the world fundamentally differently than, uh, let's say, a heterosexual male could even comprehend, um, which is not to downplay as well. You know, of course, men have a lot of fears. why we're so angry all the time. But, um, um, but there are, yeah, there are nuances to the whole thing. It's, it is for me one of the reasons I think that... Uh, I found myself having to lean so hard into spirituality. I think that there's probably no rationalization of any of the things that we're experiencing. I don't think that our brain can put these pieces together because, um, I mean, even in your anecdote, there's going to be, of course, you go into either washroom, there's going to be an individual who's going to be offended for whatever their personal reasons. Um, I like to just throw it back at them. They've got to face their own, you know, gender issues and sexuality insecurities if they're going to be upset at another human being. But um, but there's going to be women that are going to be like that too. Um, so then is it our responsibility to conform society? Um, I don't know. Which is why spirituality is fun because I can just say, fuck it, give it to something else <laughs> and try not to get caught or mired in it because it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's metaphorical, it's quicksand. Uh, once you, to have, uh, the other thing that I was thinking about is um, despite focusing on how you, pre I mean, the word present has become such a large single word in uh, gender identification right now. Um, 
which for me implies so much of relying on a third party to um, acknowledge you and to give you value, which I think is fairly frightening. Um, but that's just my perspective. Uh, living in it, I don't know anything about it, uh, of course. But um, f- for me, looking at you, Kane, it, it is interesting in the in knowing, um, well, not just you, but you know, a trans, a person going through transition, is that huge jump and courage and um, I don't know what it is, uh, self belief um, in how you're experiencing yourself. That um, this is not about you wanting to do the what kids are doing these days with streetwear, like put on a skirt, either to shock the mass or to express that this should be what fashion is. You know, challenging exterior norms. Um, this is something where um, you are taking a much larger uh, course of action and um, actually being somebody different. I mean, yourself, of course, at the core, but um, I mean, just imagining what it must be like to get to the point where this is not, again, about looking f- f- what feminine, a loaded word and a loaded description, but looking feminine, but this is about um, going to your family and going to your loved ones and going uh, to business associates and to whatever, to other human beings and saying, look, this is not it. <laughs> it's not that uh, I just want to wear like neat looking clothes. Like I'm not a man or I'm not a woman or whatever it is. I'm not what you think I am. Um, that requires a much, I think, larger and fundamentally more powerful, uh, let's call it intuition, uh, perhaps. Uh, yeah, that is not about uh, necessarily even what other people care about. Um that you're ready to push beyond their potential um, uh, disassociation with you. It's, it's, it's big to even get to the point where you're willing to work hard enough um, to be that other person. That's a, that's a crazy journey. That's something that I think more people need to acknowledge, not on the surface of it, about how people are appearing, but I think people need to... Um, kind of internalize that because I think at some level everybody has a lowercase t trans sort of uh, journey that they need to go through Um, as we talked about in let's call it episode one uh, maybe that's an entrepreneurial career uh, identity thing maybe it's about uh, even as a heterosexual like roles like you were talking about you know both my parents cooked and you know you you did the sewing and all these weird associations we have with tasks Mm-hmm. that are group tasks in a family, but are generally assigned like, uh, um, you know, the stereotype from the 50s and boomer of a man coming home from his job and sitting on a couch and that's it. He just sits there, people serve him food, then he fucks off and nobody cares, you know. Um, that's changing a lot, but um, those are, there are strong presences of what that means. Um, but I think all of us need to look at that. Um, there are elements in each of our lives. Like, how does a how does a father play with a daughter? How does a father play with a son? How does you you know? It becomes so nuanced. But I think the denial of even the denial of even needing to look at that is uh, probably where a lot of the fear and negativity that you're experiencing is probably coming from. Uh, maybe just as a quick sort of summary, is like uh, it shouldn't matter to anybody what anybody else is doing. <laughs> you know, idealistically. Um, it does. We all get upset at everybody else about something or another. Um, 
you know, it, it is weird. Um, listening to you and your experiences, um, yeah, it makes me reflect a lot too, not only on how I want to treat other people that I meet, but also how I need to keep looking inward as well um, to understand how to continue to be brave um, and have the courage to keep digging a little bit deeper to find out who I believe anyways I'm supposed to be in that moment, which uh, can, if if people are open-minded enough, uh, be inspiring as opposed to threatening. In my opinion, I don't know. <laughs> um, at any rate, um, yeah, maybe maybe we'll come to a close. I don't know. Is there anything else um, that we're omitting? Do you have anything else that uh, on top of your mind right now that is important uh, on a cultural, even specifically Calgarian idea that we should know about? I mean, you did speak about, it was interesting about the, what was it called? The prom night? The reprom. Yeah. I mean, there are, there's a culture growing, I think, in Calgary where people need, are are banding together to create a community. But um, yeah, I mean, is there any sort of last conclusive moment uh, to tie this up uh, or maybe to summarize where you're at now, what you're looking at moving forward? uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll leave the uh, mic open to you uh, for a, for a quick uh, flourish here to, to finish us off. Sure. I don't know. My flourishes don't seem to be quick, but um, I. But to tie back to part one, you know, Koke Dama for me is a lot more than my job or a planting style. Um, and the the artistry around that it was really the beginning of my journey of self-discovery and um you know when when you're faced with who am i really when i'm don't have this corporate job then um it set me on this path of why are you doing the things that you're doing um why are you trying to fill these boys shoes let's say are those are those your things are those your family's things is that society's things and it led me to this place where a year before I came out I kind of soft came out to my girlfriends and I was like um I feel like I channel a lot of feminine energy and my girlfriends are all like well yeah you do they're like that yeah you do like that doesn't change anything you just you you are who you are it's fine like it's fine um and then after you know a year later you know i i come out come out and i'm like okay well you know this is what happened and and um i'm trans and of course my girlfriends are like well yeah you are (laughs) Um, and for them, you know, not, not a surprise, but I, I wasn't able to be like that open with everyone. Um, but Kokedama really set me on this path of self discovery and self exploration. And that's why, that's why I have my business and that's why I teach classes um, sometimes people are like, oh, well, why, why do you, you're teaching classes on how to make kokedama, to do what you do. Aren't you afraid that people are going to copy you and make kokedama? And I'm like, 
Well, they are going to make kokedama. That's the point. I want them to have that returning to their body and understanding what they feel physically and emotionally and be connected with themselves enough to be able to say these might maybe you know it's my job is doesn't define me you know there's this other thing that I love or this thing that's passionate that I'm passionate about and to um, not everybody is as lucky as I am I guess to be able to say oh this is a thing I'm passionate about I'm gonna dive in and I'm gonna make a business out of it and make a lot less money but it's going to be really fulfilling and I want to share it with everybody um but to have a day job that might just be the job but it it enables them to be able to do that thing that they're passionate about the thing that when they do it it gives them life it makes them um alive and um that's like that that's that's why I do what I do and sort of now that I'm really settling into my gender identity um I've started exploring some other stuff um because I recently got an apartment at home like to live in because I you know I went through a divorce and um and I started exploring houseplants in a small living space and growing um, like food crops like peas and green onions. And um, and then I was like, well, what about wildflowers? Can I grow wildflowers in my apartment? Um, and, you know, you go search for it and it's like, I don't know, nobody's doing it. I'm like, I'm going to go and, and play and explore and and see where that goes um and i i was gonna say maybe it comes off a little stuck up but i I don't i don't think it is like i want that for people we have so many stories of um it's like i i just i hate my job and that's sort of the end of it and i i want the story to be i hate my job but i love this and this these things make me excited and I think I think we can make a better Calgary if we can all start living that way I I I really believe that we can we can make a better Calgary or a better Canada or um North America and you know I kind of have these this vision of being able to travel and to share share this with um with other people um i think you know uh more obligatory a more obligatory shout out to my wife helen who uh, is a konmari um, consultant but the konmari method uses the word joy um i in my sphere might use the word creativity um but ultimately i think what i'm hearing from you is that I mean, the two things we we need to look for, um, something that brings us joy, be it a hobby or something, but then that's underpinned by the second notion, which is to act on it. There's, there's a constructive, creative way to approach things, and then there's uh, yeah, a cynical, passive way. 
Um, if, and this is pure idealism because history definitely tells us this is not the case, but if a culture, a city, a town or a neighborhood or a community can at some level communally uh, attempt to build uh, creative events, creative interactions and uh, active spaces, um, I mean, that has to be where, let's call it the soil and seeds of uh, culture emerge from. But you have to get in there and till the earth and, uh, and experiment. Uh, and we'll see if Calgary's got it in them. I don't know. Uh, we do in some sense. I mean, you and I are speaking, so something's happening. Uh, um, so, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens next. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Is there any... Anything specific that you're doing? I know you have a secret project coming up, so we won't talk about that yet uh, with Alice, but uh, anything specific coming up that uh, you're working on? Announceable? Um, yeah. Um, well, that secret project is going to be really cool. So, And even when it launches, it's, there's still going to be a bunch of secret stuff around it, so that's, that's going to be really fun. Um, and I'll just leave that there so that listeners can be like oh well I want to know because we want you to have that um I um the other thing that happened since part one is I have rebranded my personal social media profiles and so that used to be um like at Kane Chow but um I've rebranded it to at the transplanter and um it was one of those things like when I thought of it, I was like, oh, somebody's got to have this social media handle. I'm like, this is the best handle for a trans person who's into plants. And, um, but nobody really has it. So um, that's where I'm going. And it just kind of reflects my, my explorations at the moment. And, and maybe it'll change later, but I don't know. So there's that. And, um, so I'm producing YouTube content there and then like Instagram and Facebook and stuff um, to kind of share that journey. And I'm hoping that that will resonate with other people and um, hopefully get other people to explore as well. And and it's just the transplanter, all one word. And then, um, yeah, and then my, I guess my business... One is um, kokedama.ca, so K-O-K-E-D-A-M-A.ca. Yeah, we'll make sure, I, well, I'll, we, there's no we. I'll make sure that uh, I verify all that stuff before this gets uh, published. Um, yeah, thanks for giving me more and more of your time. <laughs> it was great seeing you. Thank you. The Alberta Podcast Network is an initiative that supports locally grown podcasts, which means podcasts that are grown here in Alberta. One of those podcasts is Repodcasting, and I got a chance to meet one of the hosts, Lucia, on my other podcast with Kyle, uh, where we fight a machine and uh, watch movies to save the world. Lucia's got this great podcast where her and her cousin Janet discuss movies and about alternate casting choices that might have made a different world in which we live in now. Here's Lucia to explain exactly what they do at Repodcasting. The show you're listening to is part of the Alberta Podcast Network. 
locally grown, community supported. Another show from the network that you should check out is Repodcasting. Have you ever watched a movie and there was an actor in it that was all wrong for the part they were playing? Have you ever wanted to imagine someone else in the role? Never fear. That's precisely why Repodcasting exists. Listen as co-hosts and cousins Janet and Lucia recast their favorite and not-so-favorite movies with their dream cast. They also take a moment each episode to imagine which role in the film should have been given to Tony Danza, because, let's face it, Tony Danza would make every movie better. You can find Repodcasting wherever you listen to podcasts or at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Happy listening!